Okay, so this is part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for April 27, 2008. And we're going to continue with the study on the Indigo Star Children. And now we're going to get a little bit more into a Bible study on this. And then we're going to segue back into the Indigo um, Children a little bit later. Because I think it's important that we biblically define what's going on here. I'm going to read this last paragraph I just ended with again, just to kind of reiterate things. According to the Indigo Children website, owned by Cryon Writings, these youngsters enter the world with feelings of royalty and shameless entitlement. Socially, school is difficult for them, yet self-worth poses no problem. Such children do not respond to guilt discipline, nor do they take interest in homework, which is to them flat-out boring. They're, what, are, what is that saying? These little kids are basically like, Totally full of pride. I don't mean like proud of your country. I mean they're proud and, and pride before the Lord is an abomination. Pride is the main thing that will take most people to hell. As far as if there was one sin in the Bible that's going to take more people to hell than any other sin, it's pride. Because pride blinds you to truth. Pride is the essence of almost all religions in the world that are non-biblical. Because pride says, I can earn my way to heaven. So if you think about it, pride was also the first sin of the Bible. Because of his beauty, Satan was lifted up. Remember, that was before humanity was created. Because of his beauty, he was lifted up. First sin of the Bible. Okay? I mean, Satan was already Satan when he tempted Eve, right? And they were the first two humans, so that had to occur before the Garden of Eden. I'm just being logical here. So the first sin... Of, of recorded history, at least, that we know in the Bible, was Satan. Because of his merchandise, it said, and then because of his beauty, he was lifted up. That's pride. And then he said, I will ascend into the sides of the Lord. I will be like the Most High. That's pride. Very, very dangerous. Well, that's what these kids are having instilled in them. Not only are they that way anyway, and we're going to look at that in a second, but they're having it instilled, further pride instilled in them, by their parents and by other people. Sickening. We're going to read about how the God, God feels about um, how to raise kids. These kids question everything, often in a manner that is not age appropriate, because they're so advanced and alert to better ways of doing things. Indigo kids aren't inclined to obey, wait in line, participate in ritually oriented systems, as long as they understand there's a consequence for everything they do, and indigo will likely behave, but only if adult guidance is perceived as an explanation, not an order. Not surpri In other words, you have to reason with them in order to get them to agree to do anything. Oh, well, we're going to see what the Bible says about that in a second. Not surprisingly, many such children are diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADD or ADHD. The National Institute of Mental Health figures ADHD as the most commonly diagnosed childhood disorder. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but... We are not going to get into all that today. So let's see what the Bible says about raising children. Okay. Proverbs 13, 24. Now we're going to go to this little guy. <clears throat> Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasten him betimes. Means he chastens him when it's appropriate. Okay. Do you realize it says he that spareth the rod, meaning sparing discipline. It's like basically like saying you hate your child. Oh, but I wouldn't want to want to hurt little Johnny or, or, or little, you know, Betty. No, no, no. We don't want to do that. We may Dr. Spock says it may, you know, mess up their, their psyche or whatever. No, it's not. It's the best thing for them. Now, I'm not advocating child abuse or anything like that. Okay, I'm talking about biblical discipline. Okay? You can use something like one of those paddle ball. They have for the paddle ball things, the, the little ones with the cheap uh, uh, balls that you, that you bounce on them. Get a couple of those, break the, 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 uh, the balls off and use that. Okay? What's that? Oh, if you drill holes in them too, yeah. You can do that. But that's a light thing. It's not going to leave, like, you know, deep lacerations. or It's not going to do that. But it will get their attention. Trust me. Okay? 
He that spareth the rod hateth the son. But contrary, but 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 um, on the other side, he that loveth him chasteneth him. Chastening is like you know you're spanking them, you're you're disciplining them. That's a sign that you love them. Why? Because you're defining the parameters on their behavior. If you let a child do whatever he wants to do, he's going to keep pushing the envelope to see how much he can get away with. Because he, deep down he's yearning to be disciplined. He's pushing you to see how far he can go. When you let him do whatever he wants to do, you're basically saying, I hate you, I don't care about you, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Oh no, I don't care what the Bible says. I, I don't discipline, I don't spank my kids and I don't care what the, I, I, fine, then you have it your way. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can deceive, you can let your heart deceive you, or Dr. Spock, or whoever. You can let your heart deceive you and say that you know better than the word of God, but it's not going to matter when you stand before God. Because you will be proven wrong. So choose whom this day you're going to serve. Okay, Proverbs 19.18. What does that say? Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Chasten, spank him. Chasten thy son. Remember, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. God does it to us. Are we not created in His image? Are we not to emulate God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Whom the Lord loveth, He also chasteneth. And then it says, if you be without chastisement, you are bastards. means if you're not getting spanked and you're living like the devil, regardless of if you're calling yourself saved or not, if you're not being spanked, then, you know, you're not a son. If you be without chastisement, you're bastards. That word means an illegitimate son. Here it says in Proverbs 19.18, Chasten thy son while there is hope. What does that imply? That implies that there's going to come a time where if you don't chasten him, there's going to be no hope. Don't wait, is what it says. Don't wait. Well, I'll chasten little Johnny when he's ten, when he can handle the spankings, but no, there's probably no hope at that point. I mean that. I mean like... This is the difference, many times, between them going to hell and them going to heaven. Because if they're brought up as a spoiled brat, how are they ever going to have any hope of going to heaven? What, what foundation are you laying? Because that's not the foundation, the formative years. If you're bringing them up, letting them do whatever they want to do, self-willed, not disciplining them, not spanking them, what hope are they going to have of getting saved, if you've, if you've totally corrupted their foundation or their formative years. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation is destroyed, well then, what are you going to do? What hope is there for Johnny or, or whoever? Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's further confirmation. But you train up a child. You don't wait until they're 10 or whatever and then try to start doing it. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, then he'll not depart from it. Now, not to say every single child that you train up in the way they'll go, that's a guarantee they're going to get saved. Okay? But, I'll tell you what, you're going to massively increase the chances of them getting saved if they're brought up in a biblical way. Now, there's also people like me <laughs> that were really not... I mean, there were certain things... My dad taught me about hard work and stuff like that, but I, w I was brought up in a very ungodly household. Very unbiblical. I mean, rock and roll playing, my mom doing yoga, and a whole nine yards, and that was the environment I was brought up in. And, um, and that's just mentioning a couple things. And praise the Lord, I got saved. So it's also not a guarantee they're never going to get saved. But on paper, if you looked at my life, you're going to say, oh, there's no way this guy's going to get saved. Now, the, with the Lord, all things are possible. So I also want to at least present that side as well. Because not to say God can't come in and pull you out of that. But you still have to yield. You still have to come to Him as a little child. Okay? And, and not say, well, yeah, well, I, I, I deserve to be saved because I'm so great or whatever. No. 
Okay, so Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Okay, sorry about that. The verse reads, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him, not the rod of discipline. And you would say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It's the King James Bible. It's the Word of God. It either, it, it either is the Word of God, or it's not. Change not one word. Not one word. I'm just emphatic about it. I already told you just that one little thing we looked at in Isaiah 14, 12. Between, between Lucifer being called morning star and son of the morning. It's a big deal. Where the Bible talks about in Revelation where it says that they're going to put the mark in the hand in the King James and all the other versions read upon or on. Big difference. If it's on the hand, it's, it implies, well, it's just going to be some little tattoo. If we're going to use it to buy, sell, or trade, how could it be just some little tattoo? I believe it's probably going to be a combination of a tattoo and an implantable microchip. It's going to be some distinguishing mark. But the implantable microchip is the only way we're going to be able to buy or sell. I've done two studies on that, on the Mark of the Beast. So if you have any questions on that, just do Mark of the Beast keyword search. Okay, so, Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. It, it means that much. If What do you mean? What is, what is die... Really, I believe more of the implication here is die and go to hell. Thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. That's where I get my confirmation from. Deliver his soul from hell? That's how important child discipline is. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. So that's a way to actually infuse your child with wisdom. Why? Because you define parameters. You, they, they know that they just can't live life and do whatever they want to do. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Taylor, d does, when I've spanked you, does it give you wisdom? <laughs> she knows not to do it again. <laughs> I don't have to spank her that much. Because I've done it from a very early age, and as a result of that, I don't have to constantly go around and keep doing it. Because she knows there's consequences. You know, it's not like you have to do this 24-7. Okay? If a child starts to learn very early on that there's consequences for their actions, they're not going to keep doing it. Unless they're just, whatever. Just totally rebellious. I'm not saying there's not exceptions to every rule, but from my experience, works really good. From my experience, everything that I'm talking about today works. It works. Then it says, but a child left to himself... Bringeth his mother to shame. Child left to himself. You see all these like latchkey kids. They're doing what they want to do. They're off on their own. Or even if their parents are home, the video games are raising them. Or the Harry Potter books are raising them. Or some other parent is raising them. Or whatever. I mean, unless that person's godly. Child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. Now, again, if you've been guilty of these things in the past and you weren't aware of it, I'm not here to condemn you, okay? I'm not. I'm just saying, these are things that you want to start to implement and pray about if you haven't done that. Correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. He shall give delight unto thy soul. My little girl's a delight unto me, but I've corrected her. I've disciplined her. She's a blessing not only to me, but to a lot of other people. Okay? But, a lot of it has to do with the way she's been raised. Not because I'm so wonderful. Okay, but because the Bible, the Word of God, works. Ephesians 6, 1-4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Oh, now what about if you tell an indigo children any of these verses? They'll say, oh, that's not for this age. That was for the age of Pisces. <laughs> my familiar spirit says these Bible verses are just total lies and you've misinterpreted the word of God it's just a man-made book and there's no validity to it at all that's what they're trying to do question the word of God just like Satan did why? because Satan has to question the word of God if we believe the word of God and we do the word of God then we're going to live holy and we're going to live right 
And the devil don't want that. He wants everybody living wickedly and thinking there's no rules and thinking there's no holy God we have to answer to. That's what the devil's goal is. But the Bible says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Don't go around cursing mother and father. I don't even care if they're in the wrong. You don't do it. Why? Because your days are going to be shortened if you do. That's what it says. Your days are going to be shortened. You curse father and mother. It says you're going to, your, your light's going to be snuffed out. You better be careful about that. You know, and I, I'll be honest. My dad's done some things to me that, ooh. And, I, and there was times, you know, thoughts or whatever I said, but I repented of that thing. Okay? You can always repent, remember. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. You can always repent. And then it says, That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. This has a lot to do with longevity as well. The Bible talks about the wicked not living out half their days. Well, you look at the average expectancy of a gay person, and it's in their low 50s. Okay, whereas the average expectancy of a, of a normal person, particularly in America, I believe is about 76, 77, depending if you're male or female. They have like a 25-year less life expectancy. A sodomite or, or somebody that's, that's gay. Homosexual. You know, the Bible's true. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The one primary way you do that is, is, is making sure they're in the Bible or listening to scriptures as well as, as what you're, you're telling them. And it's not an excuse for you to provoke them to wrath. I'm always trying to be, always be aware of that. You know, I don't want to provoke Taylor to wrath or, or to make her resent me or make her associate the Bible with something unjust or unfair. Like I'm using the Bible where I'm living like the devil, you know, and I'm provoking her. You know, do as I say, not as I do, that type of thing. Okay, now let's look at this a little bit further. We're going to shift gears a little bit now to Proverbs 16.4, which says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Oh, how many times did you hear that one quoted? The Lord's made the wicked for the day of evil? Hey, listen, this isn't my rule book. This isn't my universe. I'm not God. His ways are higher than my ways. I don't understand quite everything. But that doesn't mean I still shouldn't obey the word of God. But God's very clear he's made the wicked for the day of evil. Daniel 12.10, what does that say? Many shall be pure. Now this is regarding the end times that we're living in right now. Many shall be purified and made white. And tried. What does that mean? Well, not something that a lot of Christians want to hear. Purified and made white. Well, that sounds nice. Oh, yeah, but it's not fun. It's called the furnace of affliction. Okay, it's where we get purified and made white. Well, where else does it say that? Well, let's go to Revelation 3, where it talks about the Laodicean church era, which is essentially the time that we're living in right now. I just want to touch on that. Now, none of this is fun. Okay, but it's what's coming, and I can't do a thing about it, and it's the Lord's way and not my way. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. Let's, let's go to see, what is, what is God telling the Laodicean, lukewarm church that he's going to vomit out of his mouth? What is he telling them to do? He's saying, I counsel thee, the Laodicean church, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Really, real riches, which are in heaven. You know, the judgment seat of Christ, when, you know, your works are going to be tried, is either wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, or precious stones, these, these types of things. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that, your nakest, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyesight that thou mayest see. Now here it says, we're, since we're sons of God essentially, according to the New Testament. Now sons of God in the Old Testament were the angels. Okay, but the sons of God referred to in the New Testament actually is, is the body of Christ. It says, as, as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. And he says it right here. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. If you're a 
If you think you're a born-again Christian, and you're living like the devil, and there's no chastening of God on your life, I would almost guarantee you're not saved. Because the Bible says He will chasten you. Okay? Now, going back to Daniel 12.10, it says, Many shall be purified and made white. Made white. Where does it say that? It says, I counsel thee to buy me white raiment. What's, what's that? We're going to look at that in a second. And tried. What is that? The trial of faith? Yeah, it's the trial of faith. You tried to see if you're really the real deal or not. Remember, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You know, the goats from the sheep, the separation thing. And tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. None of the wicked are going to understand any of this. Remember, the, preach, the preaching of the cross to them that are perishing is foolishness. That's what the Bible says. But the wise shall understand. How do we get wise? One of the primary ways to get wise is to pray for the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of knowledge. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. So, wisdom is connected with the fear of the Lord. Well, I don't hear that preached very much. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Peter 1.7 to get a little more clarification on this. 1 Peter 1.7 Now, if you already know all this stuff that I'm telling you, and you've already applied it to your life, and you're not living like the devil, and you're not living as a Laodicean Christian, is God going to have to discipline you as severely as somebody that doesn't know this, and is not implementing this, but let's say they are saved? Why would he have to? Did he have to discipline the son that never left him in the prodigal son story? Not really. I mean, it's not like he had to go to the hog pen and, 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 and have all of his substance taken away from him and feign to fill his belly with the husks of, of, that the swine did eat. The son that stayed with the father in the prodigal son story, he really didn't have to be chastened, did he? No. Well, he never strayed from the father. He was with the father. I just thought of that. It's kind of cool if you think about it. Okay. 1 Peter 1, seven. Well, here. Let's go... Ah, let's go to verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God... Okay, so we're kept by the power of God through faith. It's always about faith. Unto salvation. Why? Because you're saved by faith. Okay? That's how you get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, is it the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So, who are kept, meaning the, the, the uh, body of Christ, people that are saved, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Are you ready to be revealed? In the last time? Because that's what it says right here. That those that are really saved are going to be revealed in the last time. Because it's we're right on the cusp of, of separating the real Christians from the pretenders. They're the ones that are going to be ready to be revealed in the last times. It says right here they're going to be. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice in this. Though now for season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Is it kind of hard being a born-again Christian right now? Do you, do you ever feel heavy and like you're tempted a lot? Well, the Bible says it was going to be that way. Does it mean you're going to live in sinless perfection? No, sure don't. I mean, Paul said, Oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? The things that I want to do, that I do. And the things that I don't want to do, that I do. That doesn't give us a license to sin. Because we don't sin that grace may be abound. But even Paul had problems. Okay. Then verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of, than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. That's being tried. The trial of our faith. Well, what do you mean trial of our faith? Well, faith is going to have to be tested to see if it's real faith. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how you build faith 
by hearing the word of God, by reading it, memorizing it, these types of things. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The trial of your faith is the testing of the faith. Being much more precious than of, than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with the fire. Well, our faith, which is connected with gold, is going to be tried in the fire at the judgment seat of Christ. To see if it's really gold. Or is it wood, hair, stubble that's going to be burned up? Might be found in the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom ye have not seen, ye love. What does that imply? Faith. You haven't seen him, but you still love him. I mean, does Jesus appear in your, in your bedroom every night and that's why you love him? Most likely, if you have Jesus bodily manifesting in your bedroom every night, you're seeing a false Jesus. Okay? Unless whatever that Jesus is telling you totally lines up with the Word of God every single time. But that's not the typical way it goes in the Bible. Because the Bible says, Whom have ye not seen, ye love. You haven't seen Him. What does that imply? That we're not supposed to go around seeing Jesus manifest bodily. Oh, the Charismatists would disagree with me here. They're seeing all kind of Jesuses. And all kind of angels and all kind of whatever. Now, I'm not saying God is not capable of doing that. But typically, and biblically, that's not the way he works. In whom, this is talking about Jesus, in whom, though now ye see him not, says you're not supposed to see him. Okay? Yet, believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What is the end of faith? The salvation of your souls. Jesus said, you know, Blessed are ye when all men hate you and revile you for my name's sake, for great is your reward. And all men will hate you, it says in the end times. But they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Well, then that implies works. No, it really doesn't. You know, here's why. Yes, works manifesting through faith... I will show you my faith by my works. In that way, yeah, you're right. It's works, but it's through the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you that's given you the ability to do whatever it takes in order to please God and in order to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as it talks about. But it's not about being saved by works. And see, this is what I don't see very many people distinguishing between the two. Uh, and this is why it's so easy for some of these people to say, well, we really are saved by works. You've got to define this thing. Because it's very easy to go and say, well, no, I'm saving myself now through my works. No, you're not. No, you're not. Okay, and then we, if we go back to verse 5, in Peter, just to reiterate this, it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith. See, he keeps you. The Bible says that we're sealed under the day of redemption. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. He keeps you. So, this is not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Doesn't that kind of take a load off you, to realize that? It does to me. Because if i got to do anything to save myself, guess where Scott's going? Straight to hell. And I know it. I would rather it be this way, wouldn't you? I mean, I want to be kept by the power of God. It's just a matter of me having the faith to believe it. Well, my faith isn't there yet. Well, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, what if I'm reading a corrupted Bible? Then you're going to have a corrupted faith. You're going to have a polluted word. Don't do it. Read the King James Bible. And if you, if you doubt that, email me. I'll get you the whole King James defense packet. There's two streams of Bibles. Two. And the King James is on one side, which came from the Textus Receptus, the Byzantine text, the majority text, and then you have all the other hundreds of Bible versions on the other side. Well, God's not the author of confusion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He wouldn't give you 800 versions to choose from. Pick and choose. He's not the author of confusion. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There's not like 400 versions up in heaven. There's one. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, um, let's go further. Okay, the one thing I didn't remember, we, we just talked about the gold tribe and the fire. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 4. This is to the church of Sardis. 
now, he says, I know thy works in verse 1, that thou hast a name and thou livest and art dead. So it's kind of a, evidently a dead church. He's talking to them and telling them, you know, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. And then verse 4 says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now remember, it said, it said in verse 18 in chapter 3 of Revelation, It said, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, thou mayest be rich in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. The white raiment is pretty important. What does it say in Daniel 12.10? It says, Many shall be purified and made white. The Bible says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be crimson, they will be white as wool. Okay, so, white. The blood of the Lamb washes you white. Okay? Thou a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, meaning the majority have defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. He that overcometh. And I will not blot out his book out of the name of life. That's not really too comforting to me. That verse. I'm sorry, but it's there. Well, does that mean you can lose your thought? Listen, you need to read into it what you want to read into it. But I tell you what, I don't want to push that envelope. I will not blot out his book out of the name of life, but I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. These are the ones that are walking in white raiment. You know, that's a whole other study. Now, I will say this to balance that out. Talks about he that overcometh. Okay? For whose, let's go to First uh, John chapter 5. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, what does this imply? Faith. Can it comes back to faith. And everyone that loveth him, that begetteth him, loveth him also that is begotten of him. And it means you love your brother as well. By this that we know, by this we know that we love God. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. For the love of, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now this is not talking about we're under the bondage of the law. Okay, you have to take this in the whole context of the New Testament. Remember, the Bible says the law and the prophets are, you know, are this to love thy God with all thy heart, all thy strength, all thy might. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And to um, do unto others as you'd have done unto yourselves. Okay, which is the golden rule. That is the law and the prophets. Okay, that's what the Bible says in the Gospels. I've, I've done teachings on this, so I'm just reiterating this. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. See, that's what it always boils back to, is the faith that we have. If you have the faith, you're going to do what it takes. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's giving you the faith, and giving you the strength, and giving you the power. But you have to strengthen that faith by reading the Word of God and memorizing it. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Isn't this kind of simplistic when you really look at it? I mean, it just always it just seems to come back to this. But who is he that overcometh the world? Who is that? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you really believe it? See, that's the thing. A lot of people, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but when the trials are going to come, we're going to see they really don't believe it. Because their actions are going to be contrary to that belief they say they have. Because they're going to put their trust in something else. Oh, I don't have any faith anymore. Jesus isn't really here. I really never had the faith to begin with. Well, that's going to be tried and proven. Okay, now none of this that I just talked about is fun. It's not, I admit. I mean, there are some very comforting things in there, but there's also some very not comforting things. And um, you, you just have to, you have to boil it back to faith. And where is your trust? And have you memorized and have, have, are you dwelling in the Word of God, these types of things? Because that's where it's at. It's not of yourselves, remember, lest any man should boast. So let's go back to the study now. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Did you know that? 
The wicked are estranged from the womb. That means they're, 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 they, they go their way. From the womb, before they're born? Yeah. It says the wicked. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Do all babies go to heaven? I don't know. It doesn't seem to indicate that here in this verse. Well, how could you say that? You know why I could say that? Because of Proverbs 16.4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Listen, this is not my rule book. I don't understand. Remember, we see through a glass, but darkly. But the wicked are estranged from the womb. That's essentially a conception. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Wow. I don't know, but I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. I'm not going to shy away from this. I've never, I've never brought this up before in any study I've ever done. But it says it. And there's all kind of verses that confirm it. We're going to look at those next. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going to get all kind of, I think. I don't believe God. This and that. And, well, okay. Fine. David said, the verse that we've always based all babies going to heaven on is the verse where David talked about, I will not, um, when, when um, David's uh, child with Bathsheba died, and that was an abomination, okay, before the Lord, when that child died, it said, I will, um, I will go to him, but he will not come to me. So David's going to see him in heaven. Okay? Again, I can't sit here and be 100% totally dogmatic about everything, but I'm telling you right here, just read it for what it says. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And it implies here that the wicked are wicked from the womb. They're estranged from the womb. How do you get around that? They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. I don't know. Would that explain some of these indigo children? Wicked, right from the womb? Well, he's always been that way. He's always been so. Now, granted, the, the, you know, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The, we, we talked about this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So I'm not saying that this is an excuse to give up on your kids or whatever, or any individual kid, but, God, you know, see, God knows this. God knows things we don't know. Psalm 58, 4. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her, her ear. This is about the wicked. Psalm 58, 5 says, Which will not hearken to the voice of the charmers, charming never so wisely. Now listen to this. Psalm 58, now this is David asking God to do this. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Now remember, in verse 3, Psalm 58, verse 3, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So that's the premise upon the psalm. Psalm 58, 7, Let them melt away as waters which run continually. He that bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let him be cut in pieces. This is an imprecatory prayer regarding the wicked who are estranged from the womb. And who are estranged and, and, and go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Verse 8. Psalm 58, verse 8. As a snail which melteth away, let every one of them pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. What does that imply? I would have to say based on verse 3 and everything else that he just said here, because the wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go estranged as soon as they be born, let them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. What does that imply? That they're never born? That the wicked die in the womb? That's what he's praying for here. Ooh, that's, that's strong stuff. It's an imprecatory prayer. If that person... Let me ask you a question. God knows the beginning from the end, right? Sure. If that person is wicked, and he's appointed to be wicked, and he's going to be wicked no matter what you do, would it be better that he be born, live a life of wickedness, influence a lot of people, maybe take a lot of people to hell with him, or would it be more merciful for the people that he would ultimately take to hell with him, and for the sake of all the wickedness that he's going to commit, 
for him to die in the womb. What would be more merciful for God to do? Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. I'm not advocating going and aborting babies, okay? So don't give me that. I'm just saying, this is, this is, these are scriptural things that, you know, are, this is me we're dealing with. My little girl's asking me why about the lions and breaking the teeth out of his mouth. And I told her, I said, if you took the lion's primary offensive weapon away, which would be his teeth, that's how he kills, and he does that with his claws too, and his power, okay? But the more weapons you take away from the lion, the less formidable he becomes, Let's go to verse uh, 9, Psalm 58, verse 9. Before your pots can feel the thorns. I studied this verse a lot. Before your pots? What does that imply? Your pots. What are pots? They're vessels, right? What are we to be as Christians? Vessels fit for the Master's use? Remember what it talks about that in the New Testament? A vessel fit for the Master's use? Okay. Vessel of honor? What's a pot? A vessel? Before your pots. David's asking God, it says, before your pots. What would that imply? Before your vessels, before your children can feel the thorns. The thorns of what? The wicked? Yeah. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind. What does this also imply? This implies killing them at a very... He's asking God to kill them at a very, the wicked at a very early age because he knows they're going to be wicked no matter what. Now that's God's business. That's not our business. That's not our business to go around judging who is... That Only God can, can look on the heart and know that. So let me make that perfectly clear. But he says, before your pots, before your vessels can feel the thorns, their thorns... Why? Because a wicked person around a righteous person would be like a thorn... Wouldn't they be like a thorn in your side? You ever been around somebody that's wicked? Do they make you feel all good as a born-again Christian? Do you feel comfortable around them? No. Are they like a thorn in your side? Yeah. I think we can all relate to that, being around wicked people, and then being like a thorn in our side. It's like, man, how do I get away from this person? I want to get away from this. So before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away. Who? Who's he? God. God shall take them away. Who's them? The wicked. As with a whirlwind. Both living and... And in his wrath. What's the result of all this? Just like Psalm 64, which I tell people to pray regarding the wicked. And only God knows who the wicked are and who can be redeemed and who can't be. That's his business. Psalm 58 verse 10. Here we go. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. Oh my. The righteous shall rejoice. Now remember, the Bible also says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Okay, so we don't go around and say, oh, yes, praise God, they're all dead, and oh, yeah, great. But it says, the righteous shall rejoice when he see the vengeance. Meaning, God is judging sin. Not so much that the wicked are dying and going to hell. That's not the, what they're rejoicing in. But the vengeance of God, the judgment of God. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. The righteous shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked? Pastor... Uh, Oh, what's Pastor Weaver did a whole sermon on this. It's called Washing Your Feet in the Blood of the Wicked. Look up Pastor Weaver on Sermon Audio and then do a keyword search on his homepage for Blood of the Wicked. You can, you can hear a whole sermon on this one verse, the Blood of the Wicked. He's one of the first and only preachers I have ever heard talk about imprecatory prayers in the Bible. He was used by God as confirmation for me. Because these prayers, and this type of prayers not being prayed, is one of the reasons that wickedness is so much abounding right now. But you have to do it with the right heart and mindset. You don't do it because you're having a bad day and, and you want God to kill everybody for you. <laughs> it's not why you do it. The Bible says that when God shoots at them with an arrow, all men all men, it says, not saved and unsaved, will see and fear, fear God, and declare the work of God, and wisely consider of his doing, and that the righteous will be glad and rejoice, and will trust in him, and all the upright and harsh shall glory. Hey, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it does. That's the ultimate end of God's judgment. That's why we should pray for that. It's a good thing. Why? Because many people are going to end up getting saved. 
when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in the Acts, the, the ultimate result of that were many people were added. A lot of people got saved. Why? Because great fear fell on them. Fear God. Was well, that good? Yeah, that's good. But yeah, but it's not fun. Well, it doesn't matter if it's not fun. Many got saved. Many people that might have went to hell. So what's more merciful? For great fear to fall on them? For God to judge in this life that many would go to heaven? Or for God just to kind of lay back and not do anything and just let everybody go on to hell? What's better? Well, I'm sure if you ask those people that have been burning in hell for thousands of years, that had no fear of God in their life, they would have to tell you, yeah, I wish I had the fear of God. I think they would give a, uh, you know, there'd be no question there at all. Just something to think about. Psalm 58 verse 11 says, So that a man shall say, Verily, now remember, this is the ultimate, part of the ultimate fruit of God's judgment. So that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. So it's a good thing. Matthew 13.36 says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away, and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now this is the wheat and the tares. Tares would be like weeds. Okay, essentially. And he answered and said unto them, I'm not going to say the whole parable, but this is what Jesus said. He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. The field is the world. The good seeds are the children of the kingdom. And now that would be like a true born-again Christian. Okay? But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The wicked one? Yeah. Did you know that the wicked had his own... Did you know the wicked one, Satan, has his own seed? Did you know that? No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. I can show you. Let's go to Genesis 3.15. Now, this is after... After um, Satan had already deceived Eve, tempted her, she ate the fruit. Now, here's part of the consequences. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Who's thee? Satan, the serpent. He says he's going to put enmity or, or, or war between thee and the woman. Who's the woman? Eve. And between thy seed and her seed. Two separate, distinct seeds. Well, I never heard that preached. It's right in the Bible. I'm not making this up. He says there's two, the Word of God in Genesis says there's two separate, distinct seeds. Thy seed, Satan's seed, and her seed. Not to say that, that everyone, you know... What they're basically saying here is there's two different distinct seeds, and that's the point I'm trying to make. And then it says, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 13.39 says, Now, this is Jesus interpreting the parable of the uh, wheat and tares. It says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. That's the enemy that sowed his seed. He's the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. So the end of the world would essentially be like the end of the seven-year tribulation. When Jesus comes back, okay? The harvest. Next verse. As, there, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, the tares are destined to be gathered and burned in the fire. What is the tares? The tares are the children of the wicked one. It says it right in verse 38. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're, if you're a weed, and you're growing in the, uh, growing in the uh, grass, is there anything you can do to make yourself wheat? Let, okay, you're, 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 you're a weed growing in a wheat field. Is there anything you can do to make yourself wheat? Oh, now you're limiting God. No, I'm just saying. I'm talking about the seed will produce after its own kind, right? And didn't it say, didn't we just read that the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil? It sounds to me like God made the wicked for the day of evil. Because that's what the Bible says. Would this have anything to do with this parable of the tares and the wheat? Because he says the tares are the children of the wicked one. 
if you're if you're a child of your mom and dad, is there anything you can do to not be a child of them? Well, I want to change my parents. You can't. It's sealed. Now, I'm not saying God can't save and God can't do amazing things. But I'm saying there's a scriptural precedence here that's never talked about. Hardly ever. The, the fact of the matter is, as broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. That's just going to unfortunately be the fate of most. Does that mean we get all welled up with pride and we think we're... No, that's the last thing you want to do. But God said, He made the wicked for the day of evil. Okay, so let's go further. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire... The tares are tares. They're wheat. They're, they're weeds. They're just weeds. Okay? It doesn't talk about the tares in this parable converting and becoming wheat. They're tares... From the moment they're from the moment they're born to the moment they're they're burned in the fire, they're tears. There's nothing they can do. That's what they are. Well, doesn't it say that the wicked are estranged from the womb and they go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies? These are confirmations. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. And the Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of the kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Now remember, our iniquities as born-again Christians, if we are appropriating it, is, the blood, is, is covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't give us a license to sin, but remember, we overcome the wicked one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies, and loving our life not unto the death. That's what it says in Revelation. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important thing in that whole scenario regarding getting your sins washed away. And you can only appropriate that blood if you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way it can be appropriated. So I can't emphasize that enough. Then the next verse. And they shall cast them into the furnace of fire. These are the tares where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The burden of the word of the Lord... Uh, okay, now let's go to Malachi 1.1. 1, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to, to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob? The Lord loved Jacob. And then it said, and I hated Esau. Oh, God doesn't hate anybody. It says he hated Esau. It says he hated Esau. And I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons in the wilderness. There's certain things God hates. You continually, continually, and continually turn your back on him. I guarantee you he hates that. And there's certain, you know, here he's saying I hated Esau. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, was was... I would almost venture to say Esau was probably one of these people that was estranged from the womb. A vessel appointed to God, God's wrath. We're going to look at this more. I'm not done yet. As it, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? In other words, you could say, yeah, God can't, God can't do that. He's just love. Oh, he's many things. He's a God of judgment. He's a jealous God, remember? I heard that's what offended Oprah more than anything, when she heard he was a jealous God. Evidently, Oprah's above, six-toed Oprah is above that whole thing of being a jealous God. Do you know Oprah has six toes? No, just so you know. There's a picture I saw. A real picture. Anyway. Just kind of weird, you know, she's got six toes, the whole thing in, you know, the Bible about Goliath's brother having six fingers and six toes and... Being one of the wicked ones. Anyway, sorry, enough about that. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith, this is Romans 9.15, For he saith to Moses, and I'll have these verses up on the PDF file with this sermon. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's God's business. His ways are not our ways. 
So it doesn't matter if you don't agree or understand. You just accept it. That's part of the whole faith thing. Verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. That's up to God. Well, how, what's the way we can obtain mercy from God? By showing mercy to others. If you don't show your brother or other people mercy, God's not going to show you mercy. Or forgive your, or forgive your sins. You're trying to get your sins forgiven from God and you're not showing mercy to other people, forgiving them, then you're not going to get mercy from God. You're not going to. The Bible's very clear on that. Humbling yourself as a little child before God? You're doing that? That's what Solomon did. He humbled himself as a little child. He says, I know not whether to come in or go out, Lord. Give me wisdom to know how to, 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 to um, lead these people. That was when Solomon was in the will of God. Unfortunately, he got way off track because of his thousand women who were off into idolatry. And he led his heart away. Husband of one wife, not of a thousand. Anyway. The Bible says that God looks to the meek and the contrite man who is of a humble and a contrite heart and trembleth at his word. You want, to, you want God to pay attention to you? You want Him to hear your prayers? You've got to get the right mindset for the Lord to hear your prayers. Because if you're not in the right mindset, or you're not of the right heart toward the Lord, He is not going to hear you. The Bible also says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, verse 18. So, if we go further... This is a very interesting portion of scripture. It says, So then it, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Who is Pharaoh? Pharaoh, you know, remember? The guy that got his heart hardened by God? For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up. He raised Pharaoh up. He did. He sure did. Remember, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. God permits it to happen. See, that's something we got to get in our mind about all the stuff that's going on right now. With all this wickedness we're seeing, God's permitting it to happen. And it says clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he was going to allow it and that he's going to send it. He is going to send a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up. He let Pharaoh get raised up. That I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Why? Because he sent those plagues and he humbled old Pharaoh. Mr. Whatever King of the Universe thinking that he is. What a joke. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will, and on whom he will hardeneth. God can harden your heart just like he did to Pharaoh. Just like he did to many of the kings in the Old Testament. He'll harden their heart just so he can, he can impose his judgment on them. Well, that's not fair. Well, let me ask you a question. If God creates, if he created even the wicked for the day of evil, and the wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies, isn't that his business? Is there anything they can do to get saved? Is there anything a tear can do to become wheat? Is it not true that Satan has his own seed and it's clear about that in the Bible? And that the tares are the children of the wicked? I don't know. Am I building a case here? I think so, scripturally. I know there's probably going to be a lot of people who don't agree with me. They're going to have to show me then how all these verses are undone in the Bible. How do we undo these verses that are clear? Romans 19, 9.19 Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth ye yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? So what, what are you trying to do? Find fault with God and resist his will? This is God's doing. This is his will. Isn't the Antichrist going to have it his way for a season? But ultimately be destroyed? Yep. And he's going to wear down the saints? Yep. Is that part of their trial by faith? Yep. Sure is. 
Nay, let's go to verse 20. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? See, when you when you don't like what, what we're talking about here, about the wicked being created for, for the day of evil and these types of things, then you're actually you're going against God, because God's the one that's doing this, or permitting it to happen. Shall the thing form say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou, thou made me thus? Ask yourself that question. Shall the thing say to him that formed it, Aren't we created by God? Even the wicked. Why hast thou made me thus? Remember, this is, this is God's business, not ours. Hath not the powder power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Remember I talked about vessels before? We talked about the thorns and the pots? He says he's making one vessel unto honor, meaning true children of God, and one to dishonor. The children of the, of the tares. Okay, so now let's go further. It said, what if God, willing to show his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Now here's more confirmation. God wants to show his wrath. But it just doesn't happen instantaneously. Many times this wrath... It's like they're storing up wrath, where the Bible talks about storing up wrath. It's like, think of a dam, okay, and, and a dam's holding back water. Think of the water that's holding back as wrath. Well, as the wickedness and the wickedness and the wickedness compounds upon one another, like where your sins have reached under the, under the heaven, it gets to a point where God finally has to react, and the dam breaks, and all the wrath, the wrath of God comes through. And it happens all at once. But see, that's not the way we kind of... We want it to happen like right now. You know, God judge them right now. Well, it's God's ways aren't our ways. So, that's kind of how I look at it. So what if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. See, God's enduring, the, enduring this long-suffering too, just like we are. What's He enduring? The vessels of wrath. Who what? Fitted to destruction. Fitted means they're made for destruction. That's not the God I serve. Well, maybe it's not. But again, I'll keep going back to that one verse. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Then, verse 23, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. See, these are the vessels of mercy. You want mercy? You better show mercy. You better be merciful. You better be meek and contrite as a little child before the Lord and realize your position and standing. <laughs> you don't go to God. You don't God go to God proud and say, "Oh God, I deserve salvation." You're so lucky to have a guy like me or a woman like me. No, 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 no. That's not what you want to do. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what we need to be. Vessels of mercy. I mean, you've, you've been shown much mercy. Haven't you? By the Lord. Saved your soul. If you're a born again Christian, haven't you been shown much mercy? Then you need to show it to others. You need to be merciful to others. As he's shown you mercy. Which he hath afore prepared unto glory. See, God knows all this, the beginning from the end. We don't because we see through a glass but darkly. But He stands outside of time and looks in. Well, how do you know that? Because how do we have the book of Revelation if He doesn't know the beginning from the end? He knows what's going to happen. Does it give us a right to like sit back and do nothing and you know be slothful? No, it doesn't mean that. But He does know the beginning from the end. And then verse 24, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Amen. Now, let's go, let's finish this out. Psalm 9 verse 5 says, Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. Psalm 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. That's where America's going pretty soon. They'll be turned into hell. We're, we're, this, America's already turned into hell. I'm talking to the majority of people. Psalm 26 verse 5 says, I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. 
Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Remember the seed of the wicked? It's a separate seed. What do they refer, you know, like to the sperm and the egg? Like this is the seed of, of conception. Okay, that's the seed. The Bible says here, the seed of the wicked is separate and distinct. I don't really think, you know, granted, by the fruits you shall know them, but, you know, obviously, ultimately, that's God's business, to, dis to determine that. Remember, the wheat and the tares grow up together. Okay, and I, and I believe that what the, the reference to that verse is, is that many times you're not going to be able to distinguish between the wheat and tares. Okay, you're not going to be able to, if a tear is good enough at what he's doing, he's going to appear as wheat. He can do that. Isn't that what Satan's all about? Deceiving? Appearing as a minister of righteousness? As an angel of light? When in, and in fact he's wicked? There's a whole other study. Psalm 68 verse 2, As the smoke is driven away, so drive them away as wax melteth before the fire. Now, if you want to know more about these types of imprecatory prayers, just key in imprecatory, just the word imprecatory, in my keyword search box, uh, my homepage, and you can see this, the uh, teaching I did on that. And then he says, So let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Psalm 119, verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. They don't seek the word of God. Therefore, salvation is far from them. Proverbs 3, 33. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. The curse of the Lord? Yeah. You ever hear about the curse of the Lord? Yeah. It's in the house of the wicked. Well, what, what the Bible says a lot about, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You're trusting in man? You're bringing on, your, on yourself a curse from God, essentially. Cursed be the man. Woe unto them that reward evil for good in, in you know, these types of things. So the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he that blesseth, but he that blesseth the habitation of the just. But he blesseth the habitation of the just. So, again, I know I really got off on a segue there. But I think it was it was the appropriate time to bring this up regarding these indigo children. Now let's continue on with the indigo children and we're going to have to go to part 3 in order to do this. So we'll see you at part 3.